Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, April 18th. In today's news, North Korea conducts a missile test. A potential arsonist is caught at a cathedral in New York City, and a major breakthrough in gene therapy. But first, the big idea. The Justice Department plans to release a lightly redacted version of Special Counsel Bob Mueller's 400-page report today, offering a granular look at the ways in which President Trump is suspected of having obstructed justice. People familiar with the matter say that the report will reveal that Mueller decided he could not come to a conclusion on the question of obstruction because it was difficult to determine Trump's intent and because some of his actions could be interpreted innocently. But these people added that it will offer a detailed blow-by-blow of the president's alleged conduct, analyzing tweets, private threats, and other episodes at the center of Mueller's inquiry. Here's how today will go down. Attorney General Bill Barr plans to hold a news conference at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time to address process questions and provide an overview of the report, according to a senior Justice Department official. The report is then supposed to be delivered on disks to Capitol Hill between 11 a.m. and noon, and then posted on the special counsel's website thereafter. This rollout plan sparked a political firestorm last night, with Democrats suggesting the attorney general is trying to improperly color Mueller's findings before the public can read them. Jerry Nadler, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, said at his own news conference that Barr appears to be waging a media campaign on behalf of President Trump and has taken unprecedented steps to spin Mueller's nearly two-year investigation. While the report's light redactions might allay some of their concerns, Democrats are likely to bristle at any material that is withheld. What the Justice Department and Trump's lawyers might view as modest, lawmakers might see as overly aggressive. The redacted version of the report is expected to reveal extensive new details about Trump's actions in office that came under scrutiny, but it's unclear how much we'll learn today about how the special counsel's team investigated the Kremlin's efforts to interfere in the 2016 election, as well as Russian contacts with Trump associates. Barr is also likely to face scrutiny over the Justice Department's talks with the White House, which could help Trump and his attorneys hone their attacks on the report in advance. Rudy Giuliani, one of Trump's lawyers, said he's prepared a counter-report to Mueller's findings and that it will explain from the president's viewpoint every episode that could be considered obstruction. Giuliani and others have long feared Mueller's findings on obstruction, viewing them as potentially much more damaging than anything found on the Trump campaign's contacts with the Russians. Trump himself has reportedly been briefed in advance of the planned Barr news conference, which the president revealed yesterday during a radio interview, only to have it confirmed later by a Justice Department spokeswoman. Barr will appear alongside Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, and he plans to take questions. Mueller's spokesman tells us that the special counsel will not be there. Trump said during that radio interview on WMAL that he's considering holding his own news conference after Barr's. A senior White House official says that Trump has praised Barr privately for his handling of the report and compared him favorably to former Attorney General Jeff Sessions. But privately, White House officials are incredibly concerned about damaging testimony from a number of senior aides, particularly former White House counsel Don McGahn and former White House Chief of Staff Reince Priebus. Their testimony, according to people with knowledge of it, gave a clear, detailed breakdown of some of the administration's most controversial incidents, from the firing of Jim Comey to the attempts to oust Sessions. McGahn spoke with the special counsel for dozens of hours. And that's the big idea.
Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Kim Jong-un announced that North Korea has conducted its first missile test since nuclear negotiations with Trump broke down in February. It's not immediately clear what type of weapon the North Koreans fired, but experts say the description appears to rule out a ballistic missile, meaning the move would not violate North Korea's self-declared moratorium on testing. Nevertheless, experts say that the action was a calibrated sign of defiance by Pyongyang following a stalemate in the denuclearization talks. It's also a reminder that his country continues to develop its conventional weapons program. But observers say it does not close the door on diplomacy or negotiations about North Korea's nuclear program. The Pyongyang-run state news agency said Kim oversaw the testing personally of the weapon. They said it was fired at different targets, carries a powerful warhead, and increases the combat power of the country's military. We're also learning overnight that Kim and Vladimir Putin may meet for the first time as soon as next week. In a sign of Moscow's growing relevance to the talks, U.S. envoy Stephen Began is holding talks in Moscow on Wednesday and Thursday with Russian officials to discuss the North Korea threat. For Kim, a summit with Putin next week would be another step in the international rehabilitation of the once ostracized leader. It would also be Kim's chance to send a signal to Washington and Beijing that he has other options. For Putin, a summit would mark another milestone in his own efforts to show that Russia is back as a global diplomatic power. Number two, a man is in custody this morning after attempting last night to get into New York City's St. Patrick Cathedral with gasoline and lighters. There were no injuries or damages as a result of the incident, but it's really scary. This man tried to get into the iconic cathedral in Manhattan with four gallons of gasoline, two bottles of lighter fluid, and lighters, according to the New York City Police Department. Around 8 p.m. last night, the man returned to a minivan he had parked on Fifth Avenue, the same street the cathedral is located on, and took out the gasoline containers and the equipment to light it. Immediately after he entered the church, he was confronted by a security guard. This is obviously scary because of what happened on Monday in Paris. Meanwhile, over in France, the prime minister announced an international competition yesterday to replace the iconic spire of the Cathedral of Notre Dame. But traditionalists are mad. They say the spire should be recreated exactly as it was and say that new design would amount to heresy. Number three, researchers revealed last night that 10 newborns with the rare genetic disorder known as bubble boy disease were cured with gene therapy. The treatment appears to have completely rid the babies of their immune disorder with no side effects or complications, a result scientists have sought for decades through painstaking research and heartbreaking setbacks. An earlier attempt to use gene therapy to treat severe combined immunodeficiency disease was halted in 2003, for example, after researchers realized the therapy was giving the children cancer. The treatment unveiled on Wednesday night does not appear to carry such calamitous side effects, and experts hope it could advance cures for other rare genetic disorders, such as sickle cell disease. Infants with this bubble boy disease are essentially born without a functioning immune system. Without treatment, they rarely survive past their first birthday and can be killed by infections as innocuous as the common cold. They've been long isolated in sterile environments. That's why it's called the bubble boy disease. The new gene therapy developed by St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and UCSF Children's Hospital and published in the New England Journal of Medicine corrects the genetic defect in the DNA of babies soon after they're born, prompting their bodies to generate missing parts of their immune system. 
In interviews with the Post, the researchers said they first extracted blood stem cells from the infant's bone marrow. They used a modified virus as a vehicle to deliver the correct copy of a defective gene into those patient's stem cells. Those corrected cells were then reinfused back into the patient, where they proliferated and created healthy immune cells. To avoid accidentally turning on cancer-causing genes, as previous gene therapies did, the researchers built insulators into the virus so that neighboring genes wouldn't be affected when the virus made its insertion into the DNA. In another innovation, the researchers gave their infant patients a tiny amount of chemotherapy to clear existing cells from the bone marrow before they reinfused the treated cells, giving the corrected cells a better chance to take hold. The announcement was bittersweet for many at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Their team leader and the senior author on this landmark paper, Brian Sorrentino, spent the final months of his life racing against a fatal cancer to finish his work on this experimental treatment. Sorrentino was diagnosed at a young age with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Because modern treatments didn't exist yet, his doctors treated him using radiation that weakened his heart and produced the lung cancer that killed him last November. His widow said in an interview that the pain and agony of the treatment made him determined to find new treatments for other diseases in other kids. And that he has. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, April 18th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Homan. We'll have lots to talk about tomorrow. Have a great day.